Well, good morning. Man, we've already had a good morning, haven't we? What a great time of worship we've had, and now we have the opportunity to uh, gather around the table. You know, have you ever stopped and realized we, we really do like the table, don't we? I mean, that's where life is lived. Life is lived around a table, around a meal. Think about it. Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthday, anniversaries, promotions, friends come in from out of town, family comes in from out of town. And all of those events, we're going to end up around a table. In all of those events, a meal kind of becomes the centerpiece. And that's not just something unique to the way we do things here in America. It is true in every culture all over the world, from the very wealthy down to the very impoverished. Those you wouldn't think have food. Life is lived around a table. People gather around that table, around that meal to live life together. And not just the big moments Man, everyday life, everyday moments. Uh, I mean, folks, think about it. Eight times out of ten that you're answering the question, how was your day? You're probably sitting at the kitchen table. And boy, won't our tables be abuzz this Tuesday night as we talk about who our teacher is and school supplies and that mountain of forms they send home to sign. What is that about? And of course, we'll talk about who we saw the first day of school. That's where we live life, gathered there around the table. And you know what? That doesn't change as we come in here. The Lord's table, folks, is a place where God's people, followers of Jesus Christ, gather together and live life together. This really is a family moment, a community moment. We don't do this alone. That's not how this is lived uh, alone. Now, you know, when I say that, there, there is times when I or, or several of our pastors or some of our deacons will go out and, and deliver, take Lord's Supper to an individual, a, a homebound person, somebody in the hospital. There may be some unique circumstance or moment that, that's going on that will deliver that. And it's an individual. It, it, you know, it's just in that moment there. But even in that, even for those things that kind of provide the reason, something is lost. Because alone is not how this is meant to be experienced. You know, I think part of the reason we make this a very alone moment is because in the middle of this moment, there's going to be this intensely personal place we go to where we do business with God. I mean, obviously, it's very personal to to confess sins, to repent, to receive His forgiveness, to, to do business with the Lord. That's very, very personal, even if we're in a crowd. But yet, while that intense moment of, of one-on-one is going on, the reality is that this is a, a family time. We do this together. Think about it. It's the broken body of Christ that makes us the body of Christ. That, that's celebrated together. Not just alone, but, but together. And as we gather together this morning, in this particular meal, we won't necessarily chat about old times. But boy, we'll remember. Remembering is a very important part of this meal. As we gather in this moment, it's not because of a day. There's nothing unique about September 6th that this is why we're doing this right now. No, it's not about a day. But it is, it is about a person, isn't it? And when we get up from here and leave in just a few moments, we should be closer to each other. 
And we should be closer to that person, shouldn't we? Jesus Christ. I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you have them with you today, to Luke chapter 22. Uh, I'll be reading from there, beginning in verse 14. Luke 22, verse 14, a very, very familiar passage. The moment I start reading, many of you will autumn, you'll know what the next word is, you'll know what the next line, you know the setting, you, you know what we're doing. It's very, very familiar. And, and that's why this time kind of snuck up on me because I, I, something's kind of grabbed me that I hadn't really seen before, that I hadn't really focused on before. So man, whenever you're doing the familiar and something new kind of gets you, it's, it's exciting. It, it was for me, we'll see for you. Luke 22 verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it. By the way, share it. You can't do that alone, can you? Sharing implies a togetherness, a community, people. Share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. You know, one way we will we'll sometimes study a passage, try to understand a piece of Scripture, is we'll, we'll look for those key words, those words that kind of the whole story is anchored to. And sometimes just understanding that word, working through that word, looking at all the ways it's used, is, is what brings that passage to life, is what gives it its meaning. And, and most every passage has a key word. You know what's kind of unique about this one? It has lots of key words. I mean, this passage is filled with very significant words that are worthy of taking time to understand. Words like bread, body, cup, blood. And here's two big ones. Remember. And this whole thing's about remembering. And and then covenant. So, So a lot of Big words, significant words, important words here. And, and yet what jumped out and grabbed me is not none of those words. I, I think somewhat of a rather insignificant word kind of grabbed my attention this time. It, it's that word right there in the first line of the text. Where, see where it says reclined? He reclined, Jesus reclined at the table with them. Now, folks, there's, there's an element of this word, and, and I'm always a little bit weary sometimes of pastors who dive into some just point where the author's just saying they move from A to B, and they try to develop some huge spiritual idea out of that, when maybe all the author was saying is they move from A to B. That's it. And that's kind of what probably is going on here. Hey, you know, we would say, hey, y'all come in and sit down, Right? If everybody's in the living room, they're watching TV, it's time you come in and, and, and sit down. And, and you don't mean anything by that, but what? Come in and sit down. Okay, And that may be all Luke is, is communicating here, is they, they, they came in and they reclined at the table. Now, reclining at a table seems kind of odd. That's, that's not how we eat, is it? You know, so we want to say, well, what's that all about? Really nothing, because that is how they ate. 
I don't know, seems like a way to dump food all over your shirt. I, it, to me, you know, uh, kind of kicked back, laying there like that. But that's how they ate. This was very normal for them. And, and yet, so, and again, not wanting to make more out of something than was meant to be made. I just really started thinking about this word recline in its kind of normal context. And even here where that's very normal, think about the position of reclining. You're laid, you're laid back. You're, you're comfortable. What kind of setting are you going to do that in? You're going to do that with family. You're going to do that with friends. We probably would not do it at a dinner table, but we would do it at the couch while we're watching the Texas A&M Aggies beat the Arizona State uh, Sun Devils last night. You know, you're kicked back. You're, you're laying there on the couch. Now, imagine the word recline just in its normal use. No big meaning to the word. If you're reclined on the couch at the dinner table and a stranger walks in the room, what are you going to do? I, I, an enemy. I mean, I, I don't know that an enemy is going to walk in while you're having dinner, but, but an enemy walks in. Maybe it's somebody you know, but you know what? You're not, you're not comfortable with each other right now. You're kind of at odds. You don't recline when that happens, do you? You, you don't meet somebody for the first time, you know, kicked back like this. You certainly don't defend yourself. You, 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 don't, you don't prepare for an awkward moment by like, no, you're going to get up. And, and so when it, when it refers to, even when it's the normal way they ate, it, it, it's pointing out here that Jesus is reclining. Hey, this is a moment of comfort, a moment of, of peace, a moment of friendship, of, of family. And, and so I, I, I'm looking at that here and, and something kind of dawns on me. And so I st- kind of start searching and, and I find not quite what I'm looking for. I was looking for all the places that Jesus reclined with people he he loved and enjoyed. But but look at what I found here. Luke chapter 5. And Levi, now Levi is who we also know as Matthew. He's a, a tax collector. And this verse happens on the day that Jesus calls him out of tax collecting and into following him. And, and, and Matthew, Levi, so excited about that. And, and he calls all of his friends together. Of course, who does a tax collector know? Nobody wants to be around a tax collector except other tax collectors. And, and so it says here, And Levi made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others. And, and this others, folks, Luke is being generous here. Basically, this, friends, this phrase is saying here, and, and they went in and with all the other scum of society. I, I mean, this is the, the bottom of the barrel. This is people nobody wants to be around. As a matter of fact, while this is going on, good religious people like you and me are outside mad at Jesus. Because if, if Jesus is holy and good, he's just not going to be hanging out in the house like that, not with people like that. But Jesus isn't just hanging out. Jesus isn't just in the house. What's he doing? He's reclining. He's taking on that, that position of comfort and, and, and friendship. Look at this, Luke 7. Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Another Pharisee, another dinner, a separate event. A Pharisee, Luke 11, a Pharisee asked Jesus to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. Now folks, when I open up and I see Jesus reclining at the Lord's Supper, supper that, well sure, yeah. He, he's relaxed, he's with his friends, he's with family, he's, he's with his followers. That's where you're going to feel good. That's where you're going to feel at home. But what the Gospels show us over and over and over 
Is Jesus moving in and taking this position of peace, this position of, of friendship, gathered around the table, living life together with sinners and, and enemies? I mean, the Pharisees aren't His friend, and they're not going to be His friend. And He knows that. And yet He moves into that position. You know, if, if a person here today, a person anywhere today, is not a child of God, not a, a friend of God, not saved, whatever phrase you want to use to describe somebody that's right with God. If a person is not in that position, do you know what? That's not because of God. If a person here today is a child of God, a friend of God, is saved, but maybe that relationship's not quite where it should be. That can happen sometimes, right? Most of us in here, we're followers of Christ, we're, we're children of God, but sometimes we just go through a day, we go through a week, sometimes we travel through a whole season and our relationship with the Lord it isn't what it should be. You know what? That's not because of God either. Because God never fails. He never betrays. He's never mean. He's never ugly. He's never negligent. He's never unkind. He, ever, he, he never doesn't care. He never just doesn't show up. Now, sometimes it feels like he has, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes we're going through some things in life and it feels like he's abandoned us. It, it feels like he hasn't shown up. But he told us that would happen, right? He told us, hey, listen, there's going to be some places and times I'm working and, and I'm moving, but you're not going to see it. You're not going to be able to connect the dots. You're desperately going to need to and, and you won't see me. And he calls us to trust him in those times and moments. And he can call us to trust him because he always, he always loves. He's always kind. He's always true. He's always there. He always cares. You know, you know what God is always doing? He's always moving to make this relationship between me and him, us and him, exactly what it should be. Do, do you see Jesus doing that? Jesus is always moving to relate, to reconcile, to make things what they ought to be between us and God. And he does it with such incredible passion. You look, you look there in your scripture in verse 15, it says, in my translation, I've earnestly desired, I have fervently desired. That's actually a little bit of a tough one to translate in the Greek language. We have to kind of add an adverb there that we wouldn't have, that doesn't have there. Because what it literally says is, I have desired with desire. I mean, I've desired this a lot. And what is it he's desiring? Folks, he's desiring his suffering. Now, if you put it in context of that very night when he's there with the disciples and they're hearing him speak, they're actually at that table. Man, when he says, I've desired this moment, he says, I've desired this that is going to kick off about three days of just absolutely horrific suffering. A suffering like nobody in here has any comprehension of. And we can suffer in this world, can't we? No matter what you've endured, you've got no concept of his suffering. And he says, I've desired that. 
And, and of course, in that moment, not only is it kicking off that weekend, but he's saying, I have desired this thing that is going to represent my suffering. Right? Because this moment as we come here, this represents his suffering for us. You know, we have a, a thing each year we do in the church. Have you ever heard of Easter? Yeah, we, we do that each year. We, we have Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, Sunday. Uh, of course, none of those terms are used in the Bible. Nowhere in the scripture are actually told to acknowledge those days in this way or that way or do this or that. By the way, I'm not making a case here that we shouldn't do that. We, we certainly can and it's good. But the thing the scripture gave us for remembering and, and keeping this alive in our life is, is this right here. This is what we do to remember and celebrate that suffering. And as we remember it and we celebrate it, we come here and we remember Jesus said, man, I have earnestly, I have desired with desire this moment. Why? Why would anybody look forward to desire suffering? Because it's this suffering that is going to be God's great move in our lives so that you and I can recline with the living God. And not, not just spiritually and symbolically as we're going to do here today, but literally, literally in His house. One day with His food, right? We can recline with God. Because of a move Jesus made, not that we made. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we come in this house today and we've gathered around this table as the family of God, children of God, the body of Christ. It is your body, it is your blood that, that connects us, that calls us into relationship, that, that builds a friendship that perhaps would not otherwise be there without this body and blood. Lord, would you guide us through these next few moments so that as a group, as individuals, we understand and we experience all that you had in mind in this moment. We ask for your help in that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Ford now to come and kind of lead us and guide us through the taking of the Lord's Supper. In a moment, we'll pass out the communion elements. And typically when we do that, it's our practice to use that time to do business with the Lord. Uh, where we'll sit and we'll silently pray and we'll confess and we'll search as we celebrate Christ's sacrifice. Are we honoring Christ's sacrifice and what it represents? Is there any area in our life where we are possibly mocking Christ's sacrifice? Am I honoring the forgiveness of sins by combating sin in my life? Or am I sort of mocking that by having a lax approach to things in my life that disobey God's word? Am I honoring this new access that I have to God by spending time with him in his word and in prayer and obedience? Or am I somewhat mocking those things by sitting those things on the shelf and acting like they're not a priority? And so that's a, that's a good thing to do in this time, to clear the air between you and the Lord, to examine, to confess, to receive the forgiveness that these elements represent 
But one of the things that's good to remember, as Randy says, is when we come to this table, we're not just drawing close to the Lord. We're, we're drawing close to one another. We're at this table together. And to remember that one of the, the primary reasons why Christ went to the cross was to win for the Father a group of people who would be faithful to him and would love one another. A faithful new covenant people. And in doing that, Jesus has given each and every person in this room the opportunity to make him out to be a liar. When you look at a passage like Mark 10, 29 and 30, Jesus looks at a group of people and says, listen, if me and my gospel cost you your family, if me and my gospel cost you your household, you'll have that a hundred times over in my church. I'll give you a new family. I'll give you a new group of people to come around a new table with. I'll give you a group of people to support and encourage you. I'll give you a group of people to admonish you when you're headed in the wrong direction. I will give you a group of people who will sacrifice for you in your time of need. Have you ever thought about the fact that now on the other side of eternity, when we're all perfectly rid of our sin and our selfishness, that will play out exactly as Jesus said it. But have you ever thought about the fact that for now, the degree to which that promise proves true in somebody's life totally depends on how faithful each of us is to Christ's vision for life around the table. The difference between somebody coming in and, and plugging into even this church and then turning around and looking at Jesus and saying, thank you, your promises are true, I have found that family. Or them turning around and looking at Christ and saying, there's a group of people here, but where, where's the family that you promised? I, I need that family. That the difference totally depends on how faithful we are to that vision of new covenant community. That's staggering. That one, that Christ would give us the, the, the wonderful opportunity to be the hand by which his promises are actualized in people's lives. But then to give us the terrifying possibility of making him out to be a liar, to put his own reputation in our hands. And so you think about that and you ask, how many people do you know in this building? You can't know them all, but how many? Which life group do you attend? Who are you sharing life with outside of Sunday morning? Who are you serving? How are you serving them? Who's actually been to your dinner table? Who knows your secrets? And these, these types of questions, as we seek to honor what this sacrifice meant, these are the types of questions that that we should ask. Not just to wonder, oh, am I disrupting this vision of, of this church family and life around the table by harboring bitterness against a brother or sister or, or by sinning against a brother or sister, but to ask, are we, are we really giving ourselves to that vision? Are we really giving ourselves to one another? Because a part of honoring Christ's sacrifice means really, truly living life around the table. And so if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to entertain those questions, to, to include that as a part of your examination and confession and dedication to the Lord. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you wouldn't claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've never repented of your sin, never been baptized, I encourage you when these trays come around, just pass that to the next person. 
but then to, to silently and, and even prayerfully consider what God might be laying on your heart concerning his son and his table and his family. Luke's gospel account, Jesus picks up the bread and says, this is my body, which is given for you, plural. Remember me. Jesus says, this cup represents my blood that will be poured out so that there can be a new covenant. And with that, a new covenant community. Remember me. You can sit those on the floor right in front of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time together as a family around this table. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work into our hearts the fact that this represents a picture of our everyday lives. The union that we share with you through your Son and the union that we share with each other through your Son. I pray that we would work towards making that a reality more and more every day so that you would be honored and those around us would be blessed. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.